Hello and welcome to Baylor Connections, a conversation series with the people shaping our future. Each week we go in depth with Baylor leaders, professors, and more discussing important topics in higher education, research, and student life. I'm Derek Smith and today we are joined by Baylor University President Dr. Linda Livingstone. It's the start of a new year. We're a couple of weeks into a, uh, a new year now, but it still feels fresh. There's a lot going on. And President Livingstone, thanks so much for taking the time to, to join us and talk about everything that's going on at Baylor right now. Well, I'm happy to be here, Derek. It's always fun to get a new year started off. So glad to talk about all that's going on. You know, I know there's a cyclical nature to that, uh, the, the rhythm to the start of a year, but every year is a little bit different. Uh, to you, what's unique about this one, 2022? Well, I think one of the most unique things after the last two years we've had is that we're really normal this mm -hmm. fall. Uh, just, uh, you know, we are sort of thinking of COVID like we think of the flu. It's an ongoing issue that we've got to be attentive to, but it's not changing any of our protocols or issues on campus. And so students are you know, fully in class, fully doing activities. And so it feels like the most, most normal fall we've had since 2019. And everybody's really excited about that. And you can kind of feel the enthusiasm among the students on our campus. It's exciting to see you for sure. Well, you met with uh, a couple weeks ago at Move In and Welcome Week. You were able to meet with a lot of families uh, across campus. I'm curious, were there common questions that you hear from people or aspects of that, uh, those meetings that are particularly meaningful to you? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the things you hear at Move In is how fabulous our move in process is. They mm -hmm. like they many people have had kids go other places and they just can't imagine the support we get from across the campus and across the community to make it so easy for families to move in. So it's a wonderful first experience for families. Um, I also hear a lot of feedback on just how great the experience of deciding to come to Baylor, being prepared to come to Baylor was, and uh, just how much hands-on a touch we provide and and really how easy it is to go through that process. It's part of the reason so many students wanna come here and so many students actually show up. You know, you get questions about things that are going on, how, you know, what does my student need to do to be successful? Uh, you know, what should I as a new parent or an ongoing parent do to help my student be successful? So you get some of those kinds of questions, but generally it's less about questions when they first get here and more about just helping them get settled, feel comfortable and feel comfortable leaving their child with us, uh, particularly if it's their first child they've ever sent off mm -hmm. to college, which is pretty common among our students. So. Well, as you touch on the class and trusting leaving their their children here, uh, a couple of things come to mind. And 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 one is that, you know, every year we get to learn more about Baylor's great incoming class. They keep bringing in just impeccable academic standards, great backgrounds. This year's class, uh, the demand is high, but the class is a little bit smaller. How, how is the university intentional about managing the uh, the demand that we enjoy? Yeah, as you said, we had actually the largest application pool we've ever had for a wow. freshman class, which I think is a testament to uh, the quality of the university, the reputation we're building, and the experience that our students have. Uh, and we did, uh, we had a very large class last fall, about 41, 4,200. The fall before that was about 3,700. We had anticipated smaller classes because of COVID, so our predictors weren't exactly accurate given uh, some of that. But again, I think that's a testament to Baylor and the things we're doing. Uh, so this fall, we felt like we really need to pull that number down some. Our undergraduate numbers had gotten up over 15,000. We'd really like to be more in the 
14.5 or so range in that vicinity. And so we need to pull down the class size. So we're about 32, 3,300. I haven't seen the final uh, class numbers. Uh, we'll hear those, I'll hear those um, uh, early next week. But we think we came in right in our sweet spot of, of the total we were looking for around 32, 3,300. It's a class that's very qualified academically, our most academically qualified. Uh, we're really getting close to 50% of our students from out of state. It's a very diverse class. Uh, and uh, if anybody was at the football game Saturday, they were an enthusiastic class mm -hmm. too. And they are excited about Baylor. They're excited to be here. They're excited to be doing things on campus. So uh, it's going to be, they're going to be great students for us in the years ahead. Absolutely. Visiting with President Livingstone here on Baylor Connections. And you missed it. You, you mentioned, I should say, uh, parents entrusting their children to come to Baylor. And we received a pretty nice surprise recently when Morning Consult named Baylor one of the 10 most trusted universities in the nation uh, in really elite company. Johns Hopkins, Duke, Notre Dame, Cornell, MIT, Stanford, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton were all in there along with, with Baylor. What, what does that honor say to you, first of all? I think it's a testament to the work that our faculty and staff and the Baylor family broadly across the country have done in the last few years. We would not have been on that list five or six years ago because of some of the things that we were dealing with. And so the work that's been done since then to uh, work on our strategic plan, our fundraising, to build our national reputation in academics, in integrity, in athletics, is, has been really important. And I think it's what has led to uh, that ranking and that rating, uh, which we're really pleased with. And it's great company to be in. I think we were ahead of five Ivy League schools. So I mm -hmm. uh, can't say enough about the really team effort across the Baylor family on and off campus that results in, in that kind of a, a result from, from that survey. You know, you, you've, you've talked on this program in episodes in years past about the alignment and the hard work people have done, whether it's moving towards our, our research goals or, uh, you know, working through the things that we were dealing with a few years ago with with real sense of of purpose and, and mission. You know, as an organizational scholar yourself, what, what are the biggest ways that an organization builds trust, particularly if maybe it might not have been as high at a level a few years back? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a number of things you have to do. First, you have to do what you say you're going to do, right? You, I mean, people have to believe that if you tell them you're going to do something or you're going to be a certain type of institution, then you have to do that and be that and do it and be that very consistently. And then frankly, if you aren't doing that or being that for some reason, unexpectedly or because you made a mistake, you've got to be very honest about it and transparent about it. And I think the other thing is, you know, communication is just so very, very important. And I think we knew that always, but I think during the pandemic, uh, we leaned into communicating more and more and being very honest about the situation on campus, what we were doing, what was working. Uh, if we didn't know something, we told people we didn't know something, we let people know we might have to change and shift. And then we did change and shift. And we tried not to surprise people. It didn't mean we didn't at times. And so I think people felt confident that they were getting honest stories, honest pictures of what was going on, and they could trust that we were doing everything we could to keep the campus safe and healthy and taking care of our students and faculty and staff. And so I think that was kind of an illustration of ways in which we built 
trust over time because of the way we handled the pandemic. It didn't always get it right. We learned as we went, just like everybody else, but also the way we communicated about it. And I think it takes a lot of those things together to build trust. And uh, you can lose trust much more quickly than you can mm -hmm. build trust. What do they say? It, it's like uh, rain dripping in a bucket. You That's how you gain trust. The bucket dumping over is how you lose trust, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so it's something that doesn't, it, it, it takes a lot of time to build trust. You can lose it overnight or even faster than that. And so you always have to be diligent about uh, maintaining that level of trust and confidence in your institution. So we take that very, very seriously, especially as a Christian institution, but we've got to represent our values well every single day. And we work hard to do that. And when we don't do it well, we need to be willing to acknowledge that and, and do better next time. Well, we've seen so much of what you just described lived out on campus uh, with among faculty, staff, administration. And I'm also curious, the Baylor family in general, what, what role do they uh, share in this, uh, in this honor as they represent Baylor? Well, clearly the Baylor family has the biggest influence across the country and around the world because they're out there everywhere. And every time somebody meets one of our members of the Baylor family, whether that's an alum or a student or a, a faculty or staff, if they're traveling or a parent, um, and they talk about Baylor, they wear their Baylor clothes, they get asked about Baylor, what they say about us is our reputation to them and then it's spread to the people that they know and it's frankly part of the reason our enrollment numbers have been strong and the reason our application pool has been strong because the word of mouth from our students particularly those out of state that go back home and share about their experience has been fabulous their parents talk about it and it's a different experience than a lot of people have in other institutions and and so they're huge in terms of in, uh, having impact on a survey, like we talked about the trust survey and on our reputation, on our ability to attract students to the campus. So can't say enough about the, the Baylor family broadly defined and the, the impact they have on our ability to accomplish the things that we do. And I should mention too, uh, in that survey, they broke it down by different demographics and uh, among parents were number two in yes. the nation, most trusted. So you mentioned talking to parents uh, about mm -hmm. entrusting their kids to Baylor. That's got to be a nice uh, validation of that. Well, it is. I do think COVID was certainly a part of that, but I also think the experience their students have on our campus is a critical part of that. And uh, I talk to parents all over the country and uh, get such great feedback from them on the things that we're doing. And that is a credit to our faculty and staff, the experience they're creating for our students on campus in and out of the classroom. And so so appreciative of, uh, of everybody here on campus that makes that possible and actually leads to that kind of a result from parents. This is Baylor Connections. We are visiting with Baylor University President Dr. Linda Livingstone on the program today. And President Livingstone, you recently mentioned in your uh, presidential perspective email that Baylor's faith and character study had provided us with insights about faith's journey, faith, their faith journeys, excuse me, that could uh, you know help us better understand where they are and serving them. Could you take us, tell us about that study a little bit? What's beneficial about it and how is it useful? Well, that study was started, uh, I think the first year it was administered was my first year here, so it, they had already made that decision to do it before I arrived. It's a longitudinal study. Students take the survey when they're freshmen, when they first arrive, they're end of their senior year, and then I believe it's five years out as alumni. So we're starting to get, uh, because this is, we've done it for five years now, this falls our sixth year or, of data collection. We're beginning to get 
longitudinal data on some of our students, which is fabulous. And it really helps us understand what factors while they're here at Baylor have the greatest impact on, uh, you know, where do they start spiritually? Where do they end up spiritually character formation as they graduate? And then ultimately when they're alumni, and then what are the things that impacted them while they were at Baylor that influenced their spiritual and, and character development and helped it to be kind of sticky and sustainable as they leave us and move on. So it's a really important study for us as we learn from that and adapt on campus because of what we found. Are there any ways we see on campus now the fruits of that already? Yeah, a couple of things I will mention. Um, one of the things that we've learned in that uh, was we, our students are for, come to us from very different places spiritually. Some of them are very mature, broad and deep spiritual uh, experiences. Some of them come to us with very little spiritual background and experience, and that's for a lot of different reasons. And so one of the things we've learned from that study is you can't expect everybody, let's say in chapel, to get the same thing out of a generic chapel service serving all of our students because they're all coming to it from different places. And so what we've started doing because of what we've learned from that survey is creating kind of mini chapel experiences that are more personal, smaller groups that help us ensure that we can, students can be in a chapel that meets them where they are and helps them grow spiritually while they're at Baylor from where they start spiritually. So we have chapels, uh, worship chapels. Some are like contemplative worship, might be contemporary worship. We have prayer chapels. We have chapels that are designed for uh, the tied to their uh, professional interests. Uh, so we have some in the medical professions, like in nursing and medicine. Uh, we have uh, some in uh, for our student athletes. Um, and so we are over time, over the next three to five years, going to broaden that. And we're getting tremendous feedback. We started those last year and we've expanded them dramatically this year. We will continue to grow those over the next several years. And we're already getting tremendous feedback from the students and then from the faculty and staff that run those. And we believe that's going to have uh, a huge impact on satisfaction with the chapel experience, but also in the actual impact of the chapel experience on the student's spiritual development. The other place uh, that I would say, there's many more learnings from this, but these are two that are pretty significant and we've made some real changes recently. The other thing we've learned from that is that students' engagement in a local church community while they're in college has the greatest impact on sort of long-term sustainability of their spiritual development, which shouldn't is not surprising. And so uh, we've actually restructured in student life, not just the chapel area, but a staff position that is specifically focused on working with our local church community and our uh, student groups on campus that focus on spiritual development. We have over 30 of those on campus and probably more this fall. And so to really help connect our students into uh, you know, faith-based communities well, at Baylor, but also in the church community in Waco. And one of the other things we learned from that study is our our underrepresented students, students of color, black students, Hispanic students, uh, Asian students and others um, are less engaged in local churches than our majority community. And so we're working really hard to broaden the base of churches that engage with our students on campus so that students from all different kinds of backgrounds and experiences can find a local church that meets their needs spiritually, culturally and other ways 
so that they feel connected while they're here. So we've made some really significant changes because of what we've learned from that study. And we still have several more years of it to go and it's gonna make a difference in the lives of our students uh, really throughout their lives. That's fantastic meeting students uh, where they are in a lot of ways as we visit with yeah. President Livingstone on Baylor Connections. And President Livingstone, let's, uh, let's look at uh, sports and then leadership uh, a little bit. First, uh, in the Big 12, we've got a new commissioner, Brett Yormark, who's coming in at, a, at an important time, and he's off to a running start. Uh, as you've got to know him, what stands out to you about the leadership he brings? Well, we're really excited about uh, Commissioner Yormark and his leadership of the conference. And I think what I've seen since he's been here in a very short period of time at a really tumultuous time in college athletics this summer uh, really reinforces why we hired him to begin with. We believe he's um, he's going to be very aggressive on behalf of the conference. I think he's going to think innovatively about the ways we can develop and promote the conference that we can uh, kind of drive business opportunities for the conference. He's very forward looking. Um, he is very, he engages people, really gets people uh, involved in, in what he's working on. So we're excited. He's gonna, um, I think he's gonna modernize the way we think as a conference. And uh, he talks about us being a hipper conference. I'm really not the right person to talk about what it means to be a hip <laughs> conference, but. Uh, you, you need to really attract that younger generation of folks to want to stay connected and sticky to the conference and to their schools. And yeah, I think he's the right person to do that. So we're excited about it. And he's enthusiastic. He's loving his time in the Big 12. He's loved his time in Dallas. And so we're really excited about the future of the conference. Mm -hmm. Well, you also uh, get to play a leadership role in the Big 12, and it really extends beyond campus, as we'll talk about here. You'll be taking on the role of Big 12 chair next year. What, what does that role entail? Well, the chair of the Big 12, really the chair of the board, which is made up of the presidents and the chancellors of the uh, 12 universities now, no, 10 universities now, 14, and then 12. You know, it's going <laughs> to be a little bit of a roller coaster here mm -hmm. for a few years. Uh, and so I chair the board, which is really uh, uh, is the fiduciary oversight of the conference, much like our board of regents is the fiduciary oversight for the university. So I chair that board, Brett reports to the board and, um, and really provide leadership and guidance to Brett and the conference on that. Uh, the next few years, a lot of the work in that conference will be uh, transitioning new members in, transitioning members out and just the work that that takes to uh, help people uh, kind of adapt and accommodate uh, through kind of those changes that are coming. We've obviously got a, a media rights negotiation uh, that is, I would say ongoing, it's kind of going now and, and beginning that process. So there's a lot of important decisions that are going to be made in the conference in the next few years and the board will be an intimate part of supporting Brett in that work and in, in helping make those decisions. Well, you, you serve that role with the Big 12, and then at the NCAA level, you're elected chair of the Board of Governors. Uh, how is that board structured, and what's its impact? How is it similar to what you described with the Big 12? How, how can we envision that? So the Board of Governors provides oversight uh, of association-wide, NCAA association-wide issues. And that board was just re restructured uh, based on the new constitution of the NCAA that was approved in January. So. The new board started in August. It used to be a much larger board. It now has nine voting members and seven ex officio members. And so I chair that board. It consists of individuals from all three divisions, divisions one, two, and three. 
And so it focuses on those issues that relate to the entire association. And then each of the divisions has their own board of directors. I also sit on the board of directors of division one. And so they serve as an oversight body uh, to ensure that across the association of divisions, we're kind of living up to the principles of the, of the organization. We, uh, the president of the NCA reports to the board of governors. Um, two specific activities the board's working on, just to illustrate, uh, we're doing a search for the new president as Mark Emmert's going to step down once we name a new president. And so we have a search committee that's composed of members of the board, uh, not the full board, but part of the board. I'm uh, on that search committee as well. So the board's responsible for that hiring. And, and so we'll do that. There's another task worth the board has put together uh, that is looking at legislative issues and where we might need to work with Congress or states um, on legislative issues as it relates to uh, where we think college athletics needs to go. This is, gets into the issues of antitrust and NIL and some of those kinds of things. So those are just a couple of examples because those are association-wide. They impact the entire organization. There are other things that just the Division I board is dealing with or just the Division II or III board is dealing with. You certainly, as you describe, it's a pivotal time in the NCAA. There's a lot of change, uh, a, lot, a lot of adjustments taking place. What's it mean to be able to have a role during this time in particular? Well, I think it's a, a real privilege for, for Baylor and, and a, a school out of our conference to be able to have a voice at that level. Uh, this is really important. We care deeply about uh, college athletics here at Baylor and the Big 12 Conference and the important connection that has to our educational mission. And so I think it says a lot that, uh, that there's that much trust and confidence in our institution that they would believe that the leader of our institution could serve in that kind of a role. So I think in many ways, it's a testament to Baylor and the way we're viewed broadly in uh, the academic community as well as the athletic community that I would have been asked to serve in that role. Well, and with the uh, academic community, uh, vice chair of the American Council on Education and moving to, to the chair role, uh, American Council on Education, how would you describe that organization's mission and impact? Yeah, so uh, ACE is what we kind of call it. It is a membership organization. It has over 1,700 schools that are members. And it uh, really focuses on uh, trying to shape public policy to support higher education. And then it really works on how we help institutions to be more innovative, to enhance the quality of the educational experience that they're providing. And it's the only organization in the country that represents all of higher ed. So we have two-year institutions represented, four-year doctoral granting, uh, privates, publics, and so on. So it really is a comprehensive uh, support group, uh, membership organization for all of higher education. Does lots of work in Washington, D.C., and, and does a lot of um, work supporting uh, what we're doing on our campuses to be more effective. Well, as you say, it is pretty neat to see Baylor and you with that uh, opportunity to speak into to these important issues in, in so many different areas as we visit with President Livingstone. And as we wind down on the program here, I, I you know, you, you never make it about you, but I do have to ask, how with all that do you find time? You know, we see you at the sporting events. We see you at stage productions, concerts, you and the first gentleman, Brad, sometimes even your mother as well yeah, on campus yeah. uh, with you. Where, where, where do you find the time to make uh, make sure all of those things, uh, you're able to be at so many different things? Well, those are just fun things to do. We love that. We love being with our students. We love watching them uh, perform or engage in whatever activities they're really talented at. So in some ways, that's kind of the 
the fun part of the job is getting to get out and do that. And it also keeps you grounded in why we're here and why what we're doing on this campus matters and is important. And so that's going to always be an important part of what we do. And you mentioned my mom, Mima. She's actually coming this fall. She's going to spend a few Good. weeks with us. She'll be here for the Oklahoma State football game. I'm going to make sure she wears her green, even though she lives <laughs> near Stillwater and goes to OSU games all the time. Mm-hmm. She loves being on our campus and loves being around our students. And we always make sure we take her to some of these student events while she's here. Uh, and it's it's just a privilege to, to be able to engage on campus in these kinds of activities. So there's a lot of families that have a loved one who roots for Baylor up to a point, but they've also got another university they've to. I guess they're in good company if even the presidential, the, 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 but your, your family has to work through that too. We do, we do. You know, uh, that's great that there's people like that. I tell people we want you to root for, we certainly always want you to root for Baylor, but we want you to root for your alma mater or others because universities of all types need strong supporters to ensure that we remain strong as individual institutions and then as uh, kind of a, an industry of higher education. So I encourage everybody to be very supportive of their alma maters. Absolutely. Well, President Livingstone, final question for you as we wind down today. You know, it was, it's been a momentous year at Baylor, whether we talk about R1, Big 12 championships, national titles. But as we look ahead to this coming year, we've got Illuminate Forward forthcoming and plenty more. What, what are you excited about as you look to the months ahead? Well, there is a lot to be excited about at Baylor. Uh, I'll hit on several different areas. First, I'm really excited about the new faculty hires that we're making. Our new faculty group this year was the most diverse we've ever had. We brought in uh, five or six more new endowed chairs that were funded through our Foster Academic Challenge that's part of the Give Light campaign and then the the Illuminate Academic Challenge that's following up on that. They're going to have a huge impact on our campus for years to come. We will continue that hiring over the next several years. And so that's going to be transformational for the academic side of the institution, the research, the the academic program. So that's really exciting. We're going to see the completion of some of the beautiful facilities on our campus. Well, next summer, as we go into the fall, we'll be into the uh, herd, the Marco Polo Herd Welcome Center. So that's going to be huge for our recruitment process, but in our alumni, and it's just going to be a beautiful front door to our, our campus. And be transformational in so many ways. Um, we will begin to see the basketball pavilion coming out of the ground and we'll be in that, the, hopefully all things going well. Uh, the spring of 2024 for Big 12 basketball in the actual arena, the building itself will be completely done. Uh, we're gonna open Collins up next year, completely remodeled. Uh, then we'll start work on the Honors College. There's some great facilities work going on. And so I think people will see kind of that transformation over the next several years. And then, you know, we had such a great run in athletics the last couple of years. So, of course, we'd love to see a few more of those championships, bringing home trophies. Uh, so it was kind of fun at the welcome rally for the freshmen where we teach them all of our cheers and songs and everything. They laid out across the front of the stage all the trophies we've earned, like in the last <laughs> four years. So the students that came before them, and we didn't even have room for all of them. They didn't even have them all there. That's great. And so I challenged those students to be such great fans that when the freshmen that came the year after they graduated got here, there were a lot more trophies up on that stage to show off for them. So that's just a fun part of what we do. So whether it's academics, our facilities, our athletics, uh, there's just a lot of excitement and a lot of opportunity ahead for Baylor. 
Well, President Livingstone, so many exciting things and a lot going on. And I know you've got a lot going on, and we really appreciate you taking the time to to uh, join us on the program again today and to share all that's happening here. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Always great to be with you, Derek. Thank you very much. Pre Baylor University President Dr. Linda Livingstone, our guest today on Baylor Connections. I'm Derek Smith. A reminder, you can hear this and other programs online at baylor.edu slash connections, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for joining us here on Baylor Connections.